0: Well, some of you might have heard about a funeral for an extended family member that I officiated right after Christmas. It was an incredibly tragic, difficult time for the family and for many. She was only 22 years old. There was one silver lining that brought at least a little bit of of comfort during those difficult days. After it became clear that She had no chance of survival. The decision was made to donate her organs. So some other families received a belated Christmas gift, continued life, a new lease on life for a number of families. But what you might not know or or be familiar with is the incredibly narrow window of time that transplant teams work within the kidney has the longest viability outside the body teams generally have a window uh, 24 to to 36 hours that they can work within Uh, but for the heart the window is incredibly narrow usually four to six hours that means that from the time the organ is harvested from the donor the clock starts ticking the heart must be in the recipient within that window of time And what happens if it's not? Of course, cut off from blood and oxygen, other nutrients, the heart will die. The organ is simply not viable for very long when cut off from the source of its life. You know, oftentimes we think of the heart being the source of life. But it's fully dependent on the rest of the body. Remove it from the body and it dies very quickly. This flows, I don't know if you, if you catch the parallel with our scripture reading earlier, this flows directly out of our scripture reading from 1 Corinthians when the Apostle Paul utilizes this idea of the human body as a picture of the church. We are, we are here today celebrating God's faithfulness to this local gathering of Christ's body, his church, what we call Living Word Lutheran Brethren Fellowship. But the local gathering of believers has been under attack. I don't know if you've noticed this. To be clear, it has always been under attack. But we're feeling it maybe a little more intensely over the last few years than we have in the past. For example, the act of upholding traditional biblical values has now been labeled hate. One or two generations ago, you gained a fair amount of social reward from being a member of a local church. Most places in our nation now, that's much more of a liability uh, than it is a social benefit. But the attacks on the local gathering of Christ's church, on the local church, haven't just come from those who reject the Savior, many who claim to follow Jesus, have sought in recent years to downplay the significance of the local church. We've all heard some well-meaning catchphrases like, don't go to church, be the church, or the church is not a building, it's people, or maybe something like, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship with Jesus. And there's some truth in all of those statements, some good truth that we should reflect on. The church isn't just a place. It is people. A relationship with Jesus is the central idea of why we're here. I want you to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But but sometimes what I've found is that that there is something missing from those statements. And that something is the fact that, that the Bible assumes that God's people gather together for corporate Worship. We see this all throughout the scriptures. That is the, it's sort of the baseline assumption of the scriptures. We see it early in Israel's history. When they were in slavery in Egypt, they asked Pharaoh for permission to go out into the wilderness to gather to worship the Lord. And then from the Exodus onward, we have consistent rhythmic worship of God's people revolving around his tabernacle and then the temple worship was both seasonal with if, if you've read the old testament you know the the prescribed festivals and feasts and worship was also weekly gathered for example leviticus 23 tells us that the sabbath day was to be a day of quote sacred assembly one thing that's clear throughout the scriptures beginning to end is that Consistent, rhythmic, corporate worship is an essential part of the Christian life. You can look at the letters of the New Testament, for example. They're almost all addressed, either to local churches or to a region of congregations or also a couple to pastors or overseers of local congregations. Gathered, consistent, rhythmic, corporate Worship is the assumption of the New Testament. And I think our text today gives us a clue as to why. So as we gather today to celebrate God's faithfulness to this local assembly of believers, let's turn our attention to God's word. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. This is God's word to us. From a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your living and enduring word. Make us receptive to all that your Holy Spirit has to say today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The letter to the Hebrews that was written to an early group of Christians who were struggling with confidence, struggling to hold on to the faith that they had received they were likely uh, battered to some degree by persecution and perhaps some of them just felt it would have been easier to revert to the Judaism that their ancestors had known and felt comfortable in for centuries and and so the writer of Hebrews goes to great lengths to show how Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of the Old Testament And not only is he the perfect fulfillment, Hebrews argues that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than what had come before. You'll notice that our text begins with the word therefore, which is always a cue that uh, what we're talking about is flowing out of what has come before. And so what happened right before our text today? I'll summarize it this way. This is sort of the message that our text is flowing out of. The writer of Hebrews made this point that Christ came as the true high priest. So it's, it's leaping off of Judaism. Christ came as the, the true high priest that he made one sacrifice for all sin and that he guarantees forgiveness for all who believe. That's a, that's a really good message, right? That's the core of the Christian faith, that Jesus is the true high priest. He made one sacrifice for all sin and and he is guaranteed forgiveness for all who believe. And then we have that word therefore. Because of that, with that being established, we jump into our text for today. And what follows in our text, flowing out of that establishment of what Jesus Christ has done, is a threefold encouragement. He encourages this church to which he is writing toward three things. You'll see that the plural introduction to this section in verse 19, it's a reminder that this isn't written to one individual. This is written to the gathered worshipers at this church. Uh, Some of you might have been in Bible studies in the past where the, the question was asked of the text, what does this verse mean to you? which often causes pastors to cringe when they hear that question. One of the reasons is that we have a tendency to read Scripture in an individualistic way. It's the natural way that we approach something. We are the center of our own world. And so we uh, read something and we say, what does this mean to me? Because, of course, practically, most of the time, we are the final, the highest authority in our lives. Uh, And and it's easy to forget the fact that almost all of the scriptures were intended to be read in a corporate setting. Individuals wouldn't have had copies of the scriptures available to them. It's just really in the last few centuries that personal daily Bible reading was a thing, right? Because people didn't have the scriptures available to them. So the the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, were originally intended to be read and, and received and understood in a public, in a corporate setting. For example, the New Testament letters, you can see uh, almost throughout, with the exception of just a couple of the letters, were written to individual congregations or regions to be read in those individual congregations within the region. Don't get me wrong, I highly encourage you to study, read and study the Bible on your own. That's a good thing. We should all do that but but it's important that as we read the scriptures we always remember that first and foremost they were given to a collective body to a a church we should read them that way verse 19 therefore brothers and sisters since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that's, that's sort of the recap, that's the introduction to these three encouragements that we're going to get. Uh, the body and blood of Jesus are, are the means through which we enter the presence of God. That's what the writer is saying. We have, we have confidence to enter his presence. Then what? And that's where we see these three encouragements today. I'll I'll introduce the first two. I'm not going to dive too deep on them. I'm going to spend the bulk of my time on that last encouragement today. The first one is this. Let us draw near to God. Verse 22. Because of all that I've just said, because of what Jesus has done and his opening the way uh, for us, because of that, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. When, when we look at the, the larger context, we see that the, the author of Hebrews is using temple imagery. Right, This is straight out of the Old Testament. He's talking about the most holy place. That restricted area behind the curtain where the very presence of God would live and dwell among the people, this is used as a reminder of what Jesus has done for us, that we now have full assurance, full confidence because of what Jesus has done. We have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, we have been washed clean, and so we can draw near to God. those two references of cleansing and washed sprinkling and, and washing are uh, are from the Old Testament ritual cleansing process that priests would go through before they entered the most holy place to make sacrifices. Because of Jesus, the writer of, uh, of Hebrews says, you have been cleansed, you have been washed clean. And so you have full confidence, full assurance to enter the presence of God. You know, we can't read this today without thinking of the sacraments to some degree, baptism by which we receive, as Ephesians 5 says, the, the washing of water in connection with the word or the Lord's Supper in which we receive all that the, the body and blood of Christ secured for us. The good news today is you don't rely upon me to enter the presence of God on your behalf, in your place. I am not the mediator between you and God. There is one mediator, Scripture says, and that's Jesus Christ. And he opened a new and living way for us. And so we are invited to draw near to God, into the presence of God, not on account of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. But you'll see in a few minutes that what, what the writer of Hebrews is not saying is that your faith is purely individualistic. That's oftentimes, we read things like this and we think, okay, this is great, it's all, it's just me and Jesus. That's not what the writer of, of Hebrews is saying. He's not downplaying the importance of, of corporate worship. But before we get there, let's look at the second encouragement that we see in our text. The second encouragement is this. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. It's from verse 23 let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess why because he who promised is faithful this is why we need to be so consistently reminded of what is true of the objective truth of what christ has done because because jesus was the great high priest who was sacrificed once for all for the sin of the world because you have been sprinkled and washed and cleansed and made new and because god is faithful there is great reason to hold on to the hope that we profess to hold fast to the confession of our hope Think about how significant this one little phrase in this verse is that god is faithful we say those words. We're we're celebrating the faithfulness of God today. We believe, at least in one sense, that God is faithful, that God never fails, that he is all-powerful, always good. But I think we've all recognized it's one thing to say those words. It's another thing to live, to to really truly believe those words. It's exactly why, why seasons of Of suffering can be such a gift to us when life is going great and we have no actual perceived need for God to be faithful it's easy to trick ourselves into thinking that uh, that we believe this intellectually but, but we never actually have to rely upon God's faithfulness but when times are difficult when we face suffering when we have no other place to go we learn, we, we experience, we taste and see the faithfulness of God. I love verse 23 because I think it's a, it's a gift to us when we understand it. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? Because God is faithful. We don't hold on to this faith, to this hope that we have because we are so faithful because our faith is so resolute so profound so unbending when it when it comes to holding on to hope we don't look to our own strength to our own grip we look to the faithfulness of Christ if you look at yourself if you look within for strength if you look within another human being you will be sorely disappointed we look to Christ and Christ alone because he alone is faithful. And he can be nothing other than faithful. It's, it's literally impossible for God to not be faithful. Think about a relatively small group of believers taking on a million-dollar mortgage to build this building. Couldn't be by their own strength. But he who promised is faithful. And why did they do it? Why did they take that risk? Because our community needs more of Jesus. Our community needs more of the kingdom of God. Our community needs more gospel preached because God is. Faithful. In the world in which we live, we we never hold on, we never keep a a strong grip by looking at our own strength, by focusing on our own ability. We look to the one who is always faithful and always proves himself faithful. Let us draw near to God, Hebrews says. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. And then third, verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Because of what Jesus has done, because he has done everything necessary that we might draw near to God, because he has cleansed us and washed us, because he is faithful always and forever, let us then consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. In other words, this is what the writer of Hebrews says, your faith isn't just about you. Those are shocking words in individualistic America. Your spiritual journey, your spiritual life isn't just about you. Many uh, today treat weekly gathered worship as one of many options with which we are presented each week. We look at the, at the buffet of possibilities in front of our week, and we plan out our week in a way that meets our needs best, at least as we perceive them. And sometimes a gathered worship fits into that, and often it doesn't. It's just one of many possibilities available to us. That's the American way, right? The words of Hebrews 10 should jar us a little. The writer is gentle, he's encouraging his language, but the point is unmistakable. He says, don't give up, or maybe more directly, don't forsake, don't abandon meeting together, gathering together. Why? Because your faith isn't about you. He says, let us consider how we may encourage one another toward love and good deeds. Every human person has the exact same number of hours in their week. Have you thought about that? Some people are really busy, right? Every one of us, every human person has the exact same number of hours in our weeks. If you've found out how to add more hours to your week, I want, to t- I want you to talk to me at the end of the service because I need your, your trick. But no, all of us have the exact same number of hours in our week. The question when it comes to to worship is not whether we have enough time. That's not the question, right? Let's be honest about that. It's our choices. It's how we choose to steward the time that's been entrusted to us. We live in a world where everything is the most important thing. Have you noticed that? watch the news. Everything that's happening right now is the most important thing. At least that's what the world wants us to believe. It's not true. It's a lie. It's a lie that our world has bought hook, line, and sinker. So the question that's before us is not what is important, it's what is most important, what is of highest priority. And the reality is that that many who claim the name of of Jesus, uh, for, for many of us, it has become far easier to say no to weekly, rhythmic, consistent worship than to all of the other demands of the world. And it's hard. It's hard. And part of the reason for that, I think, is that uh, many of us, and and I, I would say I struggle with this. Many of us don't have a healthy fear of God. Hebrews discusses this idea. If you if you keep reading beyond what uh, the text for today, you'll encounter this idea of of fear of the Lord. Uh, Hebrews talks about this. We might intellectually believe that God is real, but many of us don't functionally believe that He is the all powerful King of creation who mercifully grants me every breath that I take. That he is the sole source, the only source of everything that is good. So part of the reason that professing Christians can forsake, can abandon the gathering together for worship is because we don't have a healthy and proper reverence and fear of the Lord. But another reason is that American evangelicalism has bought into the lie that it's really, as I mentioned earlier, just about you and Jesus. What do I get out of the sermon? Do I like the worship style? Does it meet my needs? And Hebrews reminds us that if we, if we understand the gospel, if we understand all that comes before our text for today, all that Jesus did for us, that then we just instinctively don't ask the question, what do I get out of the sermon, or what does this do for me, or do I like this? We ask the question, how can I encourage others? How can my faith be lived out in a meaningful way? How can I help spur those around me on toward love and good deeds? And just in case we're, we're too slow to pick it up, which oftentimes I am, Uh, Hebrews answers the question that it creates. How do we encourage one another toward love and good deeds? The writer of Hebrews doesn't lay out this really difficult, complex algorithm that we have to follow. No, he, he says, show up. Be there. Be present. Invest that hour Because here's the reality, the the very act of showing up, the three minutes before the service and the five minutes after the service, have incredible power, far more than we could understand. You don't know that person who needs a handshake today. You don't know who needs to look across and see you singing praise to the Lord when they can't form those words within themselves you don't know who needs a hug on their way out you don't know who needs to sit in front of you and hear you confess your sin during our communion service this is a body Think about that language this is a, a, a body Jesus says it Paul said it in our scripture reading earlier this is not a club right this is the body of Christ, it's not a fraternal organization. Scripture says that you are an important part of the body. God has created you, God has gifted you, equipped you uniquely to encourage others toward love and good deeds. And that can't happen when you're not here. This isn't rocket science, right? Like, this is, this is very logical. You can't fulfill what God has designed you uh, to do if you are disconnected from the body. The phrase, stir up, in verse 24, it's an interesting phrase. It could be translated, let us provoke one another in a positive sense. Let us excite one another toward love and good deeds. The, The simple fact is that our presence in the body of Christ provides energy, synergy. It's an encouragement your faith is not just about you. God has designed you to live in connection, community, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and that only happens when we're here. I have a challenge for you this week. A little bit of homework. I want you to try something. I want you to to look around the room today, maybe not right now because that might be awkward, but look around the room and find someone in this room this week that you want to go out of your way to encourage maybe it's dropping a card in the mail maybe it's a phone call maybe it's blessing them in some way maybe it's an invitation to, to dinner at your house maybe it's someone who you know could use a financial blessing whatever, whatever it is i want you to I want you to look around i want you to find someone in this room that you can can bless and encourage this week be, be creative Be encouraging. Be be the church. Be a family. Now you might be thinking to yourself, this this is a a nice message, but the problem is the people who need to hear it aren't here, right? You'll notice that the message of Hebrews 10 isn't for those who have already started forsaking the weekly gathering of God's people. It's for those who haven't yet started forsaking. It's an encouragement that worship is worth it that gathering together with the body of christ is actually better than anything else that's offered to us it might not feel better in the moment just like obeying god's moral law might not feel better in the moment but it's always better this isn't legalism don't don't hear this as a matter of earning god's favor through church attendance because remember the goal isn't church attention that's not it's not the point it's the, the, the objective isn't to just check the box right it's to encourage one another to be what god has created them to be to be a family to care for and love one another scripture intentionally uses i don't know if you heard it at the beginning of our text scripture intentionally uses that sibling language brother or brother and sister when it speaks of your fellow believers it's not just a nice thought. Like, that's just, that's not just a, a trite saying that Scripture came up with. It's because your local gathering of believers to which God has called you is to be viewed, Scripture says, on par with our family. Church is not just another activity, another pastime, another option on the smorgasbord of opportunities that lies in front of us the the local assembly of believers to which god has called us is scripture says essential have you ever thought about why scripture places such an emphasis on the church why does scripture emphasize gathering together the 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 body of christ so uh so strongly and and i think that, that quite simply it's because jesus called the church the hope and the light of the world. Living Word has been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and you and I are parts of that. You aren't called to do what I do and I'm not called to do what you do. We need each other. I have some areas where I'm, uh, I'm moderately gifted and some areas where I need a lot of help and you have some areas where you're uh, incredibly gifted. And we fit together like a puzzle, or to use Paul's language, like individual parts of a body. And together, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Together, we are the hope of the nations. Together, we are the means through which, the vehicle through which, God desires to bring redemption to our lost community. Hebrews is a, is a warning against, to use the, the theological language, against apostasy, against walking away from the faith. Chapter 2 says, pay close attention to the message so that you don't drift away. Chapter 3 says, watch out so that you don't fall away from the living God, but encourage one another every day. And the warnings and encouragements continue throughout the book. And the the resounding message is that we need one another because all of us are at risk of wandering away, of falling away. We're celebrating today. Celebrating God's faithfulness to this local gathering of his church. We're pausing to worship the Lord for his goodness, but but a paid off building is not what makes a church a church, right? Why do we Go to church. That was the title of my message. Why do we draw near to God through word and sacrament? Why do we need to be reminded that God is faithful? That, why do we need to hold fast to the hope we profess? Because you are in a battle. A spiritual battle. And there is an enemy, a real enemy, who's after your soul. We need each other. We need people to remind us that God is faithful, that this is worth it, that he will hold on to us when we cannot hold on to him. Why love and good deeds? Did you catch that? That phrase that we're to to see how we consider how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. Uh, Those two things are the fruit, the product of living faith in Christ. Think about the number of times throughout the scriptures where we're encouraged toward either and sometimes both love and good works. The gospel at work within us produces love. It it produces love for God and, and love for our neighbor and it bears fruit. It produces good works. And our text today ends with a note of urgency. Did you catch that? Why is it urgent? Verse verse 25, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We show up because we need it. Because we need others. Because others need us. Because the day is approaching, whether that day be the last breath that you take or the judgment day when Christ returns, that day is approaching. There is a sense of urgency, and so we show up. We show up because it's what God has created us for, to be a part of the body. I, I hope, you'll, hope you'll stay after the service. When, when you sit down at your table, you'll notice, and you can look in front of me and see some, some beautiful, fresh, tulips and those tulips were chosen very intentionally why because we know what tulips mean right if you look outside you don't don't, just don't look outside it's better that way (laughs) tulips are are a sign of of spring right of new beginnings of new growth of a new season new life today is not just a day of looking at the past Churches can, and often do, reminisce themselves into the ground. This is a day when we pause, call a time out, we worship, we give thanks to God, and we look forward. We look forward to what God is doing next, to what God has in mind for this local gathering of his church. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us Consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let's watch what God does through this beautiful local gathering of the body of Christ. Let's pray. That loving and gracious God, you are so good and so faithful. We thank you that you invite us to draw near to you. That you give us strength to hold unswervingly to our hope. And when we can't hold on, you hold on to us. And, And lead us, God, to consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Keep us from wandering. Keep us from forsaking your body. We're so grateful for this church family. For all that you have done and all you are going to do. And so we pray that you would do your good work in us as we look to the next season of ministry here at Living Word. Bless it, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.